Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees and lots of other things that we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do. Hi, I'm Kush, a lawyer at the BBC. In the last episode of the podcast, I spoke to Weber Vedlaka, an associate at Reed Smith, who is a true trailblazer in terms of changing how law firms address diversity and inclusion issues. In his own words, he's dragging law firms kicking and screaming into the 21st century. With us while we chatted was our next guest, Demi Rickson, who's the acting vice chair of the Law Society's Lawyers with Disabilities division. Demi's an aspiring solicitor, thanks just a little bit to Vaybov. She has an invisible disability, and that's really shaped her first experiences of the legal world. I started out by asking her about the first time she met Vaybov and why that was so important. I went to the Reed Smith AS Ability event. Um, I think it was in second or third year now. And um, it was brilliant because it was the first time I saw a lawyer who was disabled. And I rang up my parents and said, brilliant, great. So I, okay, my disability is not a problem. That's perfect. I can do what I want. And I was always had that thinking anyway, because I was really supported by university. But I, at the time, didn't know the barriers that I would be facing in the future or what the profession was really like entering. And for instance, issues with reasonable adjustments or recruitment at that period of time, I didn't know that's what I would be facing in the future. So I I didn't prepare the solutions. Obviously, now you work... Um, as an IT training consultant, um, but you were a paralegal before, is that right? I came out of university with the first class honours and thought, right, let's go get it. Let's let's do what I want. And I decided to enter the legal profession as a paralegal because I have always, I'd say, lacked, previously lacked confidence on training contract applications. I mean, I even remember re- meeting Vibe Havoc Reed Smith and thinking, that's brilliant, but they might not want me. I'm not good enough. No one ever told me that. I don't know where that came from. Um, And then so I thought what I should do, enter the legal profession as a paralegal to gain practical legal work experience and help me move out from what Vibav was saying, stop reading the Financial Times and actually understand how law firms work in practice and help me get better commercial awareness. And so I went to my first interview. I got through to the final stages until I was asked how did you get a first class honours if you're disabled and then it was just like boom it hit me there and I and I knew in the back of my mind they couldn't ask me that but I was I was so shocked and I didn't realize how to handle that situation and obviously innocently I just said like anyone else I made revision timetables went to bed early made sure I got a good night's sleep the night before an exam um and then they proceeded to say, oh, well, you've got an allotment. And then it got uncomfortable because they said, how do you even dig because you're disabled? And that's when it then clicked. I thought, OK, so you have got a problem with me being disabled. But they were so I couldn't understand it because I thought you're so impressed with my CV. I've managed to network with different lawyers. I've got different legal work experiences, some purely just on the basis back of networking. I thought, wow, um, that's strange. And then I just picked myself back up again and then applied for my first paralegal position. Um, And it was quite a tricky process in getting my reasonable adjustments. Um, At the time, I was quite 
um, lucky because one of my friends who entered employment before me, uh, she has a vision impairment. And she said to me, look, they've got me um, loads of soft, we've got different bits of software through access to work. She went, you need to mention access to work. I thought, oh, okay. And I sort of em- entered my first paralegal job on the assumption that the law firm would know how to employ me and then su- as a disabled person and then support me going forward. Um, and that wasn't the case. So that was quite, yeah, that was quite a tough journey. Talking about the first experience where they were sort of really focused on your disability for some reason and sort of how you did anything despite that. I mean, how, how did you pick yourself up? You sort of said you, you just sort of carried on and applied. Did it change, did you change your approach after that? Or did you just think it was a one-off and kind of someone who didn't really understand? I think when I got the interview, I got rejected and, and they didn't give me any feedback. That's when I knew straight away, like, okay, that's my disability. Um how did how did I pick myself up after I presume I think yeah you're right I I I just thought okay it must be that one person they're not educated they must not be educated in terms of disability or what to ask in an interview um and I thought well no I was just dead set on my career I thought how on earth could you reject me and I've worked so hard that's you know you're missing out there so I just carried on going through because I don't I don't like to let things stop me. If I want something, I will go and get it. Um, yeah, and then I think over time, before I joined the Lawyers with Disabilities Division Committee, I kept, I have been kept re- repeatedly being asked these questions in interview, and then it re- I realised then, okay, it's bigger than just that one interview. So, so you've been asked this, again, similar questions, and people haven't really understood. Yeah, I was asked open um, by, by a law firm, how does your disability affect you? Which was quite open-ended. And it's just like, how, how do you want me to answer that? So, you know, I I think of all the positives it's given me um, and the skills that it actually draws out. And I spoke about that and they went, no, do you use a wheelchair? And I just say, oh, come on, let's get past this. What are those skills? What are the positives that have helped you and, and, and the skills that you've learned? So it's only upon reflection recently that I've realised this. So I'm finally built up my confidence again this year to start applying for the training contract application season this summer uh, and and winter time and I've realized that it's so my condition has made me incredibly organized but at the same time flexible um, which for instance I always have to plan when I get my pain appointments around and I'm always planning in my head two to three weeks in advance because I have to because if I don't look after my condition and maintain my symptoms then it will affect me it will make my condition worse then at the same then it will affect my work um with being flexible I have to if a symptom appears one day I have to communicate with like my line managers friends and family members that I'm, I'm with that day to change my schedule around uh, to suit me on that day so but by being flexible that's helped my communication skills because when in a working environment you have to tell your line managers and 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 your colleagues if something might take you a bit longer or if something's urgent maybe you can't do it that day or, or you can or so yeah I do think it's brought out quite a few of those skills for me personally have your experiences led you to question whether you would disclose your disability? Because obviously it's an invisible disability um, and so you don't necessarily have to do and people can choose, can't they? Yeah, in any case, but but for you have, you, have you sort of doubted whether you would even disclose it anymore? Yes, yes, um, com- completely. Disclosure is always a personal choice. Um, 
law firms or organisations don't have to ask you to disclose. So at the time of my first paralegal role, I I decided to move to a, a regional law firm. I had really good support in terms of my physical adjustments, but it was the the, the mental support and the culture and and my colleagues understanding how to work with me. So clear I was really unhappy in that job and and I was trying to one find a new paralegal role but and secondly find a law firm that I knew that would be dope open and, and disability inclusive, which is quite hard to find from a Google search. Um <laughs> so yeah, but whilst I was looking for these paralegal roles, I was um contacting recruiters and as soon as I disclosed my disability the job entries either closed or there was jobs no longer available and I couldn't talk to the recruiter again or they just were really quite abrasive Um, so what I did I decided to leave my paralegal roles and step out into my role at the moment because it's remote working um, and it's working it with legal tech which I have an interest in anyway but whilst I've had this time away from the legal profession I have been thinking of, okay, it is an, it is invisible disability. And I keep getting asked these questions in, in interviews. So what should I do? Should I not disclose? Should I hide my disability just to stop me going through these interviews and hopefully getting through to the final stages or getting that final job offer without discussing my disability because it's not needed. But then at the same time, for me personally, if I don't disclose, that would be detrimental to my health. Um, I need to use access to work whenever I start a job to assess the environment that I'm working in and have the appropriate reasonable adjustments that will support my condition. Um, so for me, not disclosing would make me quite poorly um, because in a role, bef- paralegal role before I worked for the first, I think, six weeks without any adjustments and none of my softwares on my computer and that made me really really bad and I couldn't do any of my work so yeah it's quite it is quite a difficult decision for me but at the same time I just want to make sure that the employer that I am working with understands and they know what they're getting from the off. Sorry I just wanted to say one thing with regard to disclosures um, what we need to understand from our point of view that no matter how how difficult it may be disability is part of us it's an it's part of our identity so you what you find is yes i'm a competition lawyer yes i'm a financial regulatory lawyer and yes i do knowledge management uh, or, or have done uh, business development but i'm also disabled uh, that's not my only identity that is but yet yeah, it's part of me so if i am feeling that i'm not comfortable disclosing to a firm uh, because I don't know how they'll react, I shouldn't be there in the first place because that's not the environment uh, that you want to be in. So um, I guess that's what I would say. But I also understand how difficult it is. Luckily for me, I have I don't have a choice because you can see it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Definitely. It is it's a part of my identity. And if I don't... <laughs> I've tried it in the past where I've tried to ignore it and it just bites me in the bum and it comes to say, no, you can't ignore me. I'm here. So you either have to look after me and work with me. And I, I kind of sometimes think it's like a colleague. I have to look after it. I have to talk to it because it, you know, we work together. 
So weird analogy, I'd say. It's a, it's a fantastic analogy. I, I never thought of it like that, but I, re- I really like it because obviously it has it has needs and you have to cater to it in the same way that you do for your colleagues. So, well, what do you advise people? Because obviously in your in your role, you're you're also acting vice chair, aren't you, for the Law Society's Lawyers with Disabilities Division? And I think you get asked this question quite a lot. So, how do you go about? What do you advise people when they ask you? Should I disclose? What I would advise, I'd always say, it's your personal choice. You have to look at your disability and see what needs you have to help you support you in your role so for me going forward I'm going to create a disclosure strategy so I've been quite uncomfortable before speaking with HR at the beginning of a new role where I've thought how much do I tell them do I have to tell them all of my symptoms which for me sometimes can be quite embarrassing to disclose just personally Um, so what I'm doing now is creating a disclosure strategy where I talk about what reasonable adjustments I know that can help me in the role and what impact they would have on me not having them. So then I don't have to go down the lines of, yep, I'm talking about this and I feel like I'm telling you too much. Um, And for me, I've had to really sit down and think, if I don't disclose to an employer, will I be bringing my true self to work? How much energy would it take to hide my disability? Yes, it's invisible, but sometimes it's not. So I'd have to go into work, pretend I'm okay, in essence, quite acting. And that's quite tiring, especially when you're having a really bad pain day. Um, So for me, I've come to the conclusion that I will always have to disclose, but let me help me manage it myself and work with my employer by creating a disclosure strategy. The other question I had about that was, about whether reasonable adjustment and first of all what does that mean because you mentioned that earlier and um and then also does the word reasonable kind of worry people um in terms of you know do do you kind of worry what does reasonable mean am I asking too much of my employer that sort of thing is that something that people worry about sometimes I know I definitely did uh in my first role of so in my first paralegal role it was my first time ever asking for a reasonable adjustment and I was really embarrassed and I thought that I was asking too much. But then at the same time, I really had a yearning like, no, please, I really need these risk supports and this software because I just need them. But so reasonable adjustments for me at at the beginning of my career, I thought were just physical adjustments that um, an employer or access to work can put in place. But it's not. It is physical adjustments, but it's also the understanding of your colleagues, being flexible, being able to manage communications between you yourself, your colleagues and your line manager and understand your needs going forward and and how you work. Um, so it's definitely a mindset as well as the physical adjustments. Um, the biggest kept secret for reasonable adjustments, I think, is access to work. And I'm so grateful my friend told me about it because... It's brilliant because it takes such uh, an anxiety and a pressure off for you. For instance, I was in the position where my condition is degenerative and it did change from university um, until going into my first employment. And I didn't really know what I needed for an office environment because, you know, I've, I've studied exams, I've studied at university, but an office environment, you know, has different needs. For instance, carrying heavy bundles or using a printer I didn't know how my condition would affect me in that working environment, but using access to work really took a lot of pressure off me because I could speak to an independent advisor 
so independent from the firm and actually discuss my symptoms and then they would suggest what reasonable adjustments or piece of equipment would be better for my condition so that alleviated a lot of pressure of me for me not knowing what I needed one piece of advice I would really have for anyone entering the legal career going through the process of reasonable adjustments don't be so hard on yourself when you're starting in your role because one you've got to learn how to work with your disability two you're learning how to work with your disability and your new reasonable adjustments so give you and that takes time so just give yourself a break you're not supposed to be perfect straight away and it's a work in progress you know sometimes your reasonable adjustments might might not be right but you might not know that until four months in (laughs) so just be a bit easy on yourself and remember it's a new environment and you're le- it's a new process of working that you're learning. Yeah, that's really sage advice. And I read one of your articles on the Law Society website that I found interesting about inspiration porn. And I wanted to talk to you about this because one of the things I've been conscious of growing up was kind of representation of people that look like me on TV. And, you know, there wasn't, or just anywhere really, and there wasn't that much of that. And so when there was an Asian family on EastEnders or when Goodness Gracious Me would come on, you know, and there was a comedy portraying Asians we would call the whole family and everyone would watch it together and we'd be like wow you know we're on tv um but also professionally as well I think that sort of representation comes in doesn't it in terms of looking at higher levels and seeing people like you but one of the things I've realized through doing this podcast is kind of portrayal as well which is how you represent different communities and people and I know you've written about the idea of inspiration porn as as you call it and you know when it comes to disabled people and, and and what do you mean by that and what is it about the portrayal that you don't like and what needs to change for me i think representation of disabilities in general is lacking and especially in the legal profession but i've only realized this in hindsight and, and only until recently because i was thinking i think i was um speaking to students at an event the other day and i was thinking how brilliant would it have been to have a role model or a mentor who i could speak to and about what it was like to be disabled and working in the profession and the day of writing or publishing my inspiration porn article I um I heard it on the radio and, and they were talking about a Paralympian and the, the presenter said it perfectly it was like oh here is a Paralympian oh if they can do that then what am I doing I'm just sitting down oh, oh I could I could be doing that it's just putting disabled people lower and not listening to what what we want and it's just a lack of education uh, really and I think one of the main problems with the portrayal of disabled people is that the underlying issues of accessibility and inclusion in the legal profession aren't addressed and it fails to bring attention to like the real problems we are facing. And I suppose there's also this this idea that kind of you would have to talk about inspiring stories rather than just portraying a, an ordinary person doing an ordinary job as a lawyer or a paralegal or, or an IT consultant, whatever it is. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people say, you know, I'm not inspiring, I'm just making a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I come across when I was I was researching. I was like, yeah, okay, that, that's fine. And I think if they write a piece or an article on a disabled lawyer or some a disabled person working in the law firm or organization it's worded in the way of they're inspiring because they've got this disability they've had to overcome it and they are still a lawyer and it's worded in the way of like well if they're doing it you could be doing it and and every time I read that I think okay well no let's just talk about what they've achieved as as a lawyer and I think well actually you're just highlighting this person you have 
working for you who is disabled, but what are you actually doing to help and support him? What are your disability leave policies? How are you helping them support them going through their training contracts with reasonable adjustments? Are you using a disability passport? So rather than just sort of giving it, I don't know if this is the right saying, like the talk, the talk, show me what you are actually doing for your disabled employees, not just showcasing that you've got this one disabled person working for you. Where's next for you in your career? What do you want to do next? So what I'd like to do next is I would like to qualify as a solicitor. So hopefully one day get that all important training contract. But it is the first year, I'll be open and honest, that I felt confident to apply for firms. But similar to what Vibalf was saying earlier, I fell into the same sort of rut where you you go, oh, I want to work in a big global or a, a magic circle or a top 10 law firm. As a student, that's how I felt like. But then now after my experiences as working with it um, as a paralegal, now I want to find not only is the law firm truly inclusive for my disability, it's also great for its work that it does. But I want to find the law firm that's the right culture and fit for me as a person and what I want for my career. So I've spent a couple of months um, speaking to different law firms at different networking events um, to try and find out their culture and what their people are like. I'm really taking my time on picking the right firm because I don't want to go through what I went through as a paralegal. I want to really train at the firm I want and hopefully stay there for a long period of time so yeah I'm writing my training contract applications this year um one day once I qualify as a lawyer I really want to continue with this work that I'm doing for disability inclusion in the legal profession because yes I want to climb that ladder but I want to put the ladder behind me and help bring others up and remove those barriers that I faced accessing the profession So that was aspiring solicitor Demi Rickson. And we've got another future solicitor too. Hey Georgie. Hey Kush. What did you think of Demi? I mean, I thought she was brilliant. I found it a little bit horrifying, to be honest, listening to some of the stuff that she was asked to interview and having to make kind of decisions that are essentially, it sounds like she's trying to balance looking after herself properly with wanting to get on in the workplace and that sort of stuff. And I think it's I, that's that sounds so difficult but mainly I just think she sounds wonderful and like any law firm would basically be lucky to have her as one of their trainees that she'd be like such an asset and I thought the stuff she said about being well organized but also really flexible was so useful because that's something that I definitely struggle with it's not my favorite thing to kind of push back or be like oh can I take check kind of the deadlines on this and like make sure that like timelines for stuff are realistic like I don't find that like a, a particularly natural skill and it's so useful and it's so important um and I just thought that that was like yeah really I I, I wish I had that skill to be honest it's such an important skill especially for kind of trainees and apprentices as well being being organized and planning and it sounds like she's had a lot of experience of dealing with that yeah totally I also love the way she describes her disability as her colleague and someone that she has to look after and work with and it's a really good analogy isn't it I thought it was really useful because I think it's not so it's something that I think I'm really quite ignorant about people and colleagues with disabilities because it's not something I've come across um and I found it really useful listening to both Demi and Faber because I know it made me think more about if if that was something that I came across in the workplace wanting to kind of 
think carefully about what I was doing because she was talking about, as did Faybuff, about kind of it being a mindset. It's not just about, you know, making sure that people have got like the right desk or whatever, but that you're kind of accommodating and thoughtful. Um, and I just thought that was really useful. It's really useful to find out blind spots about kind of other people's experiences in life that I don't know anything about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as useful as it is for for, for anyone with an invisible disability to hear about Demi's you know, advice about having a disclosure plan and having a strategy about how you might do that. For, 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 for us, it, it's great to hear also about how people have to think about these things and, and the barriers they have to navigate. And the more people that are aware of the issues that come up, yeah. people can make can make it easier for each other, I think, and kind of be more empathetic and understand some of the, some of the, the difficulties people face. Demi is acting vice chair of the Law Society's Lawyers with Disabilities division, which promotes equal opportunities for people with disabilities within the legal profession. It also helps members secure work placements and training contracts. We've posted a link to where you can join in our show notes. Do also check out Demi's Instagram page, The Abled Lawyer. She's got some really lovely graphics on there. She's done an absolutely cracking job of it. Coming up next week, we have someone who is carving out exactly the sort of fulfilling, well-fitting role that Demi is looking for. Scott Halliday. Scott's a family lawyer in Leeds who's, amongst other things, really carving a name out for himself dealing with LGBTQ plus family issues. He also talks, like Vebov, about the importance of your employer being a good fit for you as well as you being a good fit for them. Don't miss out on any of the new episodes or old ones. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Apple and Acast and we would absolutely love it if you'd give them a like or review and maybe subscribe to us. And while you're looking up The Abled Lawyer on Instagram, check us out too. Just search Not All Lawyers Pod and use the hashtag Not All Lawyers. Please do get in touch. We'd love to hear your questions. This has been Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees from the BBC's legal team. 